My name is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 135 of Cinepunks. Now, Cinepunks. listeners, you, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to ride with me for a little bit on this one. I might not be as sharp and insightful as you guys are used to having me <laughs> because I've started a job working overnight in a casino. Right, right. And uh, um, longtime listeners of the show know that I've been working in a hospital for 20 years, and then I stopped doing that in October. And now I'm working. I, I mean, I was unemployed since then, and I applied to a bunch of other places, a bunch of other hospital settings, and that shit all fell through. Did not work out to your boy's favor. And then, good friend of the show, uh, hooked a brother up at a casino, and now that's where I work. So now I work as an overnight casino cashier. And um, I assure you, it's about as glamorous as you think it sounds. Sure, right. Just by me saying it that way. But uh, it's an overnight shift. It's a graveyard shift. And um, I haven't worked overnights since, like, maybe the second or third year that I was working at the hospital, so, like, 20 years ago. So adjusting to overnight shift has kind of fucked me up, if we're being completely honest with each other, Liam. So uh, I apologize in advance, but I will do my best for you, dear listener, to continue with the brand of rapier sharp wit that you've come to expect from me your boy. First, first of all no one's come to expect Joe. that from you stop it yeah i Just know stop. i know i'm it, it's already showing it's already showing I'm, but i mean you know i'm good yeah let's do this <laughs> i mean i i do want to people to know it's always good for them to know a little bit about our lives and for people to know that like if josh does seem a little loopy today you know that's that uh, you know i used to work overnights i think when we very first started the show i still you had were working times, overnight at, at broad street ministry yeah when i was working at the shelter and some nights i didn't do overnight sometimes i was just doing mornings but even just doing the mornings like i would get up and go make breakfast for the guys at the shelter men and women but mostly men and uh you know, if I'm getting up at four to get to the shelter by five to start cooking, it, it you know, even that could, could wear you out after a while. If you're actually working through the whole night, I don't know what your experience is, Josh, but 3.30 at night is when my body goes, what exactly do you think you're doing right now? Like that's when it's, I'm, I'm pretty, when I work overnights or if I even hang out overnights, I'm pretty much jazzed and alive until 3.30. <laughs> and then at 3.30, my body is like, I don't I don't think this is a good idea. And by 4.30, it's like I'm walking through molasses. Like, I just can't think straight. I'm kind of like off a little bit. And then getting home, like I used to get home at like 7.30, I just felt like I was dead. I just didn't feel like a whole person. See, and that's the thing, right? Like, that's how normal world works. Like, even working at the hospital at like two or three in the morning, you know, like we still have to do rounds and then like six o'clock you have to do your vital signs for all the patients and all that stuff. Like there's a, there's a thing there, right? Like, but it's not like go, go, go the whole time. Here's what you may not know about the casino world, Liam. 3.30, still popping, baby. Busy as Still hell. going nuts. Oh my God. On like a Tuesday night, 4 a.m., dude's being like, yo, man, I need to cash out $9,000 in chips. And I have to count all that money, so I got to stay sharp. You know what I mean? Like, just because you're not trying to give away money that you're not supposed to give away, or like count some shit ass wrong, you know? So it's like kind of paranoid, but it's also like, yo, man, like, also no one's gonna die. 
You're sure. not going to have to yeah. give anyone a shower, nor are you right. going to have to stop anyone from fighting anybody. And uh, so there's a give and take there for me. Well, in some regards, it's way better. In other regards, it's way worse. So, yeah. you know, your boy's maintaining, though. I'm doing the best that I can and I'm surviving. So I'll take it. Well, on this spectacular 135th episode of Cinepunks, <laughs> you you have chosen both of our movies, and they reflect they reflect your recent turn towards living in the underworld that is the overnight shift at the casino. Mm-hmm. It's true. I only can, you know, here's the thing, Liam. I'm not a creative dude. I'm just a mirror for society, baby. Sure. So we're talking That's about what it uh, is. We're talking about Michael Mann's 1995 thriller Heat, and we're talking about Casino. What year is Casino from? Do you have that in front of you? Uh, it's like 80. Hold on. Hold on. No. Hold on. no. I got it right here. You're already yeah, wrong. It's like late 80, early 90. Hold on. I just looked it up. Am I? I think you're wrong. 95. We're, okay. I told you. 1995's uh, Casino. They're both 95. I will say... Because of the period, I mean, we're going to get into this more, but because of the period of the film, Casino feels more recent than Heat because Heat is yeah. very contemporary to 1995, which makes it very whereas Casino, Whereas Casino is more of an anachronism to 1995, which makes it timeless in right. 2021. If you told so, me, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think some of the style of the film places it around the mid to later 90s but if you had told me it was a 2002 film i would believe you like i i, I it's yeah. possible you if you told me it came out the same time as like the good guys or like one of those movies like sure okay sure. i'm with you you know what i mean but I just, it didn't i, I knew i just knew it wasn't an 80s movie because of sharon stone in it like she's uh i just feel like she gives off a certain age in the film that wouldn't have worked in the 80s mm. We'll save it for the mat, Liam. We'll get save there. It for the we'll mat. get there. We'll get there. Uh, Josh, who do we have to thank before we get into the meat of the episode? Funny you should ask, Liam. We should thank our beautiful sponsors on Patreon because without <laughs> their contributions to the show and without their continued support and love, we wouldn't be doing the show. So thank you so much to people who take their time to support us on Patreon and who take their time to listen to us and tell their friends about us because Honestly, you are the true currency that makes the show worth doing. And um, we appreciate that. So thank you so much to our Patreon. There's, there's, I just want to, I just want to lift up the people who haven't yet checked out the Patreon, the sort of community we have, because on one hand, and this shouldn't be a big surprise. There are a number of people who support us on Patreon who are staff for Cinepunks. And I mean by that, they were staff first, and then they decided they also wanted to financially support this thing that gave them a platform to share their voices. And that's great. And that represents a commitment. So you know, when you join the Patreon, you're not just joining our, you know, quote unquote fan base, but people who are a part of the staff who felt like they wanted to help this thing run. But to me, even more interesting is the number of people who were Patreon supporters who were so invested in what we're doing that then they became staff later because they had creative mm. ideas they wanted to to be a part of it. So we want to be really clear, like we need people's financial support and the more financial support we get, the closer we can get to living in a state of 
parity, where we are actually compensating people for their work. Right now, that compensation isn't there. We are, for the most part, living off of volunteer stuff, right? Uh, so we want to mm. raise that money. But also, we want to invite our listeners, if you have creative things you want to share with us, or if you have time and your resource you have is time and you could use that time for editing or for social media or something like that, that's also a way to get the support. I don't want to do the thing where we de-emphasize money. If you had to choose mm. between sending us a pitch for an article and sending us 20 bucks, I'm not going to lie. I'll take that 20 bucks. However, we will also <laughs> take your pitches for articles, your your podcast ideas, and anything else you can do to help this thing run. Because right now, it is a volunteer organization that uses the money that we generate with Patreon to take care of uh, you know website costs, administrative fees, and occasionally stuff for the staff like you know, that, that we can help people out. But that's about it. And we'd love to grow to the point where people who write for us, who record for us, get compensated. So that's kind of our focus. But we want you to know mm -hmm. that you could also participate as a creative partner, even if you don't have the time and energy to be like on staff. If you just have an idea that you want to explore with us, hit us up. We, we, want, to, we want to have those conversations with you, the listener who's already sort of invested in what we're doing. It's true. And also, I mean, keep in mind, for me personally, like I have a new show now because of a listener and fan, Mr. Paul Sharkey. He and I are doing a show together now. True. And he he's he he's contributing his many talents to just helping us push along and grow. And that's just so you know, that's within the realm of reality here. Yep. You know what I mean? Like if I the mean, idea is dope. Paul was an old friend who checked out the podcast and liked it, who is now most likely going to be editing the audio on this episode. So that's like, that's a big shift. And not a lot of places have that sort of opportunity. Now, granted, you know, we want people who actually have something, you know, if you just want to, you know, waste our time, that's not great. We, we want people who really <laughs> want to participate in something and make it good. Um, but that happens. And we want to encourage that as well so that people know, like, this is a porous organization. It is one into which you could come in and do something creative and fun. So, uh, good. That's out there. We also want to thank our sponsors, uh, up first, we want to thank Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Um, if you have a D&D club, a podcast, a band, <laughs> a, a martial arts an academy. Abundance, if you have an abundance of blank t-shirts that you just simply wish you just have something written on them. Right. Uh, uh, L uh, LVAC is the place to go. I, I also want to hype them up. They're a great place to go. Maybe you have an old shirt and you can't find the shirt anymore and you're looking for a recreation of that shirt. They can even help you with that. I've seen them take pictures of old designs, transfer them to Photoshop, remake them in Photoshop and print them on new shirts. They've done that. And I think they could do that. Wow. for you. So you're going to want to head over to xlvacx.com. Uh, that is their website, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. And just, you know, take a look around, see what the, what the numbers are like, see what they can do for you. Um, and, and really think about getting some apparel, uh, printed with them. We love Chris Reject, and we hope you'll you'll give them your business and you know let them know that Cinepunk sent you. Uh, Josh, who's our other sponsor? Our other sponsor is Essex Coffee Roasters, who made a Cinepunk's blend just for us. 
And um, our friend Aaron Dalbick, who is uh, the proprietor of Essex Coffee Roasters. Um, I'd like to take this moment just to give a shout out to Aaron and to uh, the rest of the Bain family and Boston hardcore scene for over the loss of um, beloved uh, bass player, Mr. Stu McGuire. So uh, he recently passed and he meant a lot to a lot of people and um, to people who mean a lot to us. So I just wanted to make sure that we took some time right now just to say, um, hey, we're here for you guys and we're sorry for your loss. And um, if there's anything that we can do to help you out, just let us know. And um, rest in peace, Stu. It's a bummer, man. Yeah, um, it's hard. And, uh, you know, I didn't know uh, Stu. In fact, Aaron's the only guy from from Bain that I that I've gotten to talk to. Uh, but I think his impact is felt around the world. And we've talked about that before on this very podcast, the impact of Bain, what Bain meant to people uh, and you know, not even just reach the sky, reach the sky was yep. a huge band to yep. a lot of people too. Yep. Like, and, uh, I mean, I never met, I never met Stu either, but again, Aaron has been nothing but a gem to us. He's been super kind and super supportive to all of my projects. And so I wanted to make sure that I took the time on, on this platform, on whatever platform I have just to say, Hey, listen, I'm sorry for your loss. And I'm sending all the love that I got for you. It's really hard, and I hope that um, not just Aaron, but everyone who loves Stu has someone in their lives to love them, someone to say to them, hey, we're thinking about you, we love you, Um, someone who is there to hear them when they're expressing their loss right now. And, you know, it's not just loss, right? Whenever someone like that passes, we also remember how great they were and what an impact they had on our lives. But, you know, right now it's just this feeling of emptiness. And so um, I really hope people can remember, you know, the magic that Stu brought to their lives and, you know, get to that point of gratitude. So uh, we love you, Aaron. And uh, we uh, are really grateful that he has offered us support through Essex. You know, Essex is an amazing company that he's running with just, you know, help of a few people, but it's mostly his project that he is running, getting this amazing coffee to people. And we're really proud to partner with them uh, and that he's supporting us as well. So, uh, EssexCoffeeRoasters.com, uh, check it out and, uh, know all you Baniacs out there that we love you. Mm-hmm. Special shout out to, to Cinepunks contributor and staff member Kylie. Uh, we love you too very much. And uh, we're here for you. And we know you're part of the Bane family as well. So, you know, just want to say what's yep. up and that we love you and that we're here for you. I mean, Kylie was, okay. part, of, Kylie was part of the reason we made that connection with Aaron in the first place, you know, that in your awesome it's band, true. you know, between the two of yeah. you. Yeah. So, I mean, not that I want to. Not that I want to thank Cross Keys for anything because they're my main competition for your time. Some, <laughs> some, someday, someday me and your boys are going to have a fight in the street. Going to have a rumble in the street. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. We've got Sharky on the Cinepunks team too. So I know. You know, I know. Like, I don't know who's going to win. I don't know. Well, but, but, here, um, but here's the thing. I'll if I have to compete. Cry. If I have to compete with Sharky for your time, that's okay because I still benefit overall because it's still on the site. <laughs> the podcast might suffer, but the site will still grow, and that's okay. 
Also, our man's was just elevated to a blue belt in jujitsu, so I'm pretty sure my skill of crying while another man twists me into a pretzel will do nothing against his mighty blue belt. So, oh. hey, you know, I'll do the best that I can. Oh, but, I mean, you know. I'm, I'm the number one guy who you've already made fun of me for this, talking about all the violence I'm going to do when in reality I'm a total pacifist who would never do violence <laughs> of any kind. It's just language. The, I'm the, not- no, the, the patheticness is that I've actually tried to do violence upon people in a controlled situation. Sure, sure. That being the classic jiu-jitsu. The gentle art of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And still, all I've been able to accomplish is to cry bitterly as a person twists my ankles behind my head and then makes my arms revolt against my whole body. It sucks. You know what, Josh? I, I, believe, I believe in you. Someday you will be making them cry. Someday. <laughs> if there is a God in heaven, I'll get a Fast and the Furious musical and I'll be able to hurt somebody. Oh, right now, I have neither. No skills. Neither one. So, oh, hey, doing the best I can, though. <laughs> God damn all right it. it's time for the segment right. it's time for the thing let's do the thing. oh man what if we just call it the segment yeah. it's time for the segment i'm gonna make a t-shirt that just says time for the segment it's yeah. gonna be so dope uh that's not did true you, did you see where friend of the show uh garrett smith was saying there should be a cinepuncture that just said and liam <laughs> no. It would just say Ed Liam dot 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 Ed Liam would be the whole shirt. <laughs> what? What yeah. does that even mean? Well, because Andri- I don't get it. Uh, I believe Adriana was tweeting about s- something we were doing, and then as a addendum, she was like, "Oh yeah, and Liam." That I was also involved, and Karen was like, <laughs> "That should be like the slogan for Cinepunks. There should be shirts that just say and Liam is there too." Also, Liam I, I don't know. Liam, you're the gem of this beautiful uh, uh, stop, jewelry stop. setting. I'm sorry, sir. Yeah. Stop. What is this segment called? What is this? What is this It's called And Liam. So, <laughs> Liam, recently, what have yeah. you done that has been whack Back and or on, on track? track. I didn't know you were going to do Endor. <laughs> I, I would have been totally on time with you, but you did Endor and it fucked me up. Okay. Uh, I know. And the Ewoks. Go on, Liam. Uh, I'll go ahead and start with 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 whack, which is just like I don't know. I've I've uh, I I've had like minor health things recently that have just put me in a bad mood. I had a uh, swollen saliva gland, and then I had to go on amoxicillin for that. And amoxicillin always gives me stomach issues. And it's just been these little like little things you get when you're an old person constantly uh-huh. that have been driving me nuts. So that's just like my that that's my primary whack. That and also just like uh I'm you know, I'm down in Bloomington visiting the in-laws, and this is always a little like, oh, it's fine. It's just not my thing. Um on track, I recently got to see Summer of Soul, uh, the Questlove directed. That's the Questlove doc. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I've seen it described as a music documentary. I've seen it described as a concert film. I think it'd be fair to say it's both, right? It's not. Okay. If anyone's ever seen like a, trying to think of a good. It looks like the Woodstock movie. It looks like Gimme Shelter. It looks like those kinds of Monterey <laughs> Pop Festival. So I would say it is. Uh, and that's just from the trailer. So because I haven't seen it yet. Remember when we covered Monterey Pop with our friend Doug Tilly? Give me shelter. Yeah. One of the things we talked about was that with Monterey Pop, there's not a lot of 
directorial voice, right? It's Mm -hmm. mostly edited footage of the fest as it's happening, right? And obviously there is a directorial voice because they're choosing which performances to include, who to show in the Mm -hmm. crowd, but there's no talking heads, right? Even with Gimme Shelter, the, the talking that you get that's reflecting is like more meta. It's like seeing their responses after the sort of disaster that was the the concert, right? Mm-hmm. This is more of a historical documentary, right? It's more giving context. There is some reaction shots. He has people there who either performed or attended and has them watching footage and they're commenting on the footage. And there are sections that are just straight performances from the thing. But there's like historical info. There's interviews. It's much more of a documentary that happens to include at times full performances. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, is uh, and the interviews are now right, like they're yes. with people currently. Uh, okay. There's one or two audio segments that are with people who are no longer with us, but they're talking about the festival. So there's an mm-hmm. interview, I think, uh, with Mavis Staples, who's uh, not nice. alive anymore, and she's talking yeah. about the the experience of the fe- of that you know uh, festival, but obviously it's not current, you know. But they play it over parts of the festival and stuff, um, but. Uh, I think in saying it's not a concert film, I might be underplaying the concertiness of it. So let me let me get more specifically into describing this thing. Yes, it is more of a documentary than a concert film, but there are several full performances that if they're broken up at all, it's just to give you some context for what's going on. And part of the thesis of the movie, right, is that there's all this footage that was filmed for TV. That footage was never sold. No one wanted to put it on TV. So then it just went away. So what's helpful is about the context setting is a reminder of how important these events are. My guess is if you're a millennial and you're watching this performance in 1969 by Sly and the Family Stone, you don't understand that what you're seeing is groundbreaking. I mean, okay, A, there's a female trumpet player in the group. Now, that in 2021 is like not a big deal. But in 1969, people were like, yo, what is happening right now? Uh, Sly and the Family Stone, one of the most sort of black conscious groups, had a white drummer. Like there's straight up a guy who's being interviewed who was like, we saw that drummer. We're like, what is going on? Like, why is that man on stage? What's <laughs> happening? Or even like the a group like the Fifth Dimension. Like one of the things that's important about the Fifth Dimension is that people thought they were white you know they they covered Mm -hmm. they did the version of the age of aquarius that's the the two songs in one you know age of aquarius is originally Mm in uh the the hair uh musical and then the 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 pop version that was a fifth dimension i'm one of those people the first time i heard that song that thought it was white performers and it wasn't and hearing the second part of the song and the one singer does these like gospel runs over it i don't know why i thought that was a white guy like why what <laughs> what, what what white performer in 1969 is doing those sort of like gospel you know uh uh, mm-hmm. uh vocal runs over top i don't know but that's that's sort of there, there are parts that or even like how at this soul fest you know they did it like each weekend in the month right there was a day that was all gospel music. Well, in 2021, gospel doesn't quite have that same cultural energy. So setting the context of like why this is happening, like one of the songs they, you know, they show a performance of this by this choir of Ho oh, Happy Day, right? 
Um, people mm. don't would might not know that in 1969, Oh Happy Day was a number one single, like on pop charts. You know what I'm saying? So like mm. that's 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 a context that even as a music guy, I didn't know, and that really helped me. So yes, it might be more interesting for some viewers to just get straight concert footage, but for me and I think most of the audience, the context was really helpful, and it was a real reminder that this isn't just about amazing black performers and, and a performance that was forgotten. It's also about the context of the time, you know, that 1969 was the year that um, people started using the term black instead of Negro. Like that was a mm. big shift that happened in 1969, yeah. you know, like, uh, or, you wow. know, that, that the original security for the event was the black Panthers, you know, that some that, mm. you know, they even interview uh, one of the women who was at the event, who was the, one of the founders of the young Lords and her talking about the importance of the young Lords and the importance of the soul festival, including uh, Latinx music. There's a, there's a couple of like Puerto Rican groups that performed and that was important for Harlem and about the relationship between the uh, uh, Hispanic community in Harlem and the black community in Harlem mm -hmm. and what that mixture and 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 focusing on the tradition of uh, the Afro-Latino community and, and the spanning of those worlds and there's a lot there. So I'm talking a lot about the, the craft of the movie. I will say the performances from the concert, you know, from the various days mm -hmm. of the fest are so fucking magical that if there was no skill in the actual filmmaking, this would still be a must-see. You understand what I'm saying? Mm. If Questlove yeah, 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 yeah. was a bad director and the interviews were bad and the editing was bad, you'd still have to see this thing. You'd have to see it because of Sly and the Family Stone, mm. because of Nina yeah. Simone, because of you know performance after performance after performance on this thing that's worth seeing. But on top of that... Questlove, it turns out, is a natural director. The thing flows well. Oh, wow. The context is really good. I mean, bro, Man, I was... Is there anything that that guy cannot do? That shit is awesome. I was fucking crying. I and, and let me tell you, I cried tears of pain and tears of joy during this thing. I was in a room. Yeah, there were people there who had gotten passes to see it, but there was a lot of critics there. We were clapping. We were cheering. No one could fucking hear you. This is a movie, right? You know, Nina, <laughs> Nina Simone is not alive. She doesn't need to hear me clapping for her. And I'm clapping for Nina Simone. You see what I'm saying? Like people yeah, were yeah, like yeah. getting excited. There was there are parts that are like audible laughter funny. You know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. you got to mm -hmm. see it. This is like a must see for everyone listening. If you love music, if you love human beings, if you care about the history of our country, this is a moment that like, again, it, it's almost like Woodstock ate this event alive. That like Woodstock was so important culturally. It happened the same year mm -hmm. for people who don't know that people didn't even know that this Harlem fest happened, but this was four weekends, you know, 30,000 or more wow. people attended in a park in Harlem. It is just unbelievable that this thing existed and then was forgotten. So I, I just, I found it to be a very emotional experience for me. Um, I it's, Again, it's a it's a it's a pale reflection of probably how important the concert was to other people. But like there's a moment mm -hmm. where one of the people who's being interviewed was an attendee and he's seeing the footage and he's just crying because this thing was so important to him. And then it became such a, a null point, like people forgot it even happened that it was almost like 
this doing this documentary was affirming for him that he wasn't crazy, that this thing actually happened. And it was as important as he thought it was. There's just something magical about that moment. I don't know. I I don't want to overhype it, but it's hard for me not to because I think it's the best thing I've seen this year, period. Yeah, and that's what just, you told me as soon as you finished it. You said you think it's your favorite movie of the year. Yeah, I, I really think it is. I mean, I'm going to have to see it again because I guess what I was telling Suze what I was doing, I didn't communicate with her well enough that I was going to see this movie specifically. So she's a little bummed I saw it without her. So I mm. think I'm going to be seeing it again. So I think seeing it again in the theater will help me know, like, was this as good as I thought it was? Or am I, you know, sometimes you get excited at a screening. You know, it's my first. Especially after not going to the movies for a whole year. Right, right. This is only my second movie back in the theater. And it was my first press screening since before times. So, you know, maybe there was a bit of excitement there. But my my feeling is that probably not that this is really the best thing that came out this year so uh as it, I, I i don't think it's in theaters yet it should be soon uh get out there and see it y'all it's it's worth seeing i think the release date's actually this week right like the 30th yeah I, yeah Zola. so I, i'm gonna yeah. say as soon as by the time people are hearing this recording it should be out so go see it this weekend you gotta go see it um right uh we, you know, I, I we haven't recorded since I saw it, so I, I want to reaffirm. I also saw In the Heights. Uh, that was my first movie back in the theater. I saw it with Susan. Uh, I really liked. I don't think I was as blown away as you were, only because mm. I'm not as in love with musicals as you were. I like musicals, but I don't have like the deep affection. Um, but mm. I liked it. I thought it was really good. I don't like. What the did you think about the dance sequences? The dancing was amazing. The thing I don't there's right. there's a couple of things I don't like. One. I don't like the rapping. I just wish he would not do rapping. This is why I don't like <laughs> Hamilton. I don't like the rapping in Hamilton. And in this movie, I think people are thinking like Hamilton, it's rapping the whole time. It's not. There's There are times when... There's like dialogue, yeah. There's Well, and there's also times when the music is a little staccato, so it's like rap adjacent. But there's only, mm -hmm. there's only two musical moments where they're really trying to like bus it and i don't like those parts of the movie i think those should be excised from the musical they are bad the rapping is bad now granted okay. i don't think they could cut them out because there's important plot points in the rapping but <laughs> but i don't i don't like the rapping the music that isn't rapping is fucking great though i don't i don't understand people criticizing the music i think it's good and i think the dance sequences are like really good um so all of that really worked for me my my thing was I don't love the rapping, and I think there's a few narrative moments that felt a little corny to me. Um, but then mm -hmm. that it's Lin Manuel Miranda, so like I don't think, considering the stereotype that people have of him as being the corniest motherfucker alive, I don't think that's what this is. I don't think it's as corny. <laughs> you as think he reeled say. it in? You don't think it's as corny as he could have made it? Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. I think it's actually <laughs> pretty good. It's just there's a couple of moments where I thought. All right. All right, buddy. Okay. All right. Sure. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think overall it's it's good. Um, you know, the other big criticism, I don't know if you saw this or not, was about sort of the, you know, colorism of the film. Um, don't know what to say about that, really. I think it's fair. I think it's a fair criticism. Um, 
I think obviously in the broader cast, when you're looking at the big dance sequences, it's not there. But it is interesting that of the central group, you know, uh, other than one actor who, by the way, I friggin' love who, if people don't mm-hmm. know, played Dr. Dre in uh, uh, in uh, what's that movie? Straight out of Compton. I thought he was good as Dr. Dre. I think he's better in this and I think he's got a great voice, great actor, but he's like the lone dark guy in a film set in Washington Heights. And so, you know, people from Washington Heights are kind of like, you know, there's a lot more Afro Latino people than this. And especially (laughs) since part of the movie is focused on the Dominican Republic. Eh, But again, that's not, you know, I'll say, as a poor person uh, who's half Puerto Rican, most of the people on screen looked like me. So it's hard for me to take up the flag that hard because like I saw myself on, on the screen, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. But I get that like for some folks, they felt like that was not entirely representative. And I don't think that's unfair. It is true that like most of the speaking roles are folks who are lighter and that that was true apparently also of the stage play. I don't know. I never saw it on Broadway, so I don't have an opinion about that. Um, you know, I, I, all I can say is Lin-Manuel Miranda himself apologized and felt like it was a fair criticism. So if he feels like it's fair, then who am I to get to, to, to say it's not, you know what I mean? Um, still, I thought it was pretty good. I think if you're someone who thinks musicals are stupid, this isn't going to win you over. It's not like, Oh, once you see this, suddenly you'll get musicals. That's not, at all but if you're someone who likes musicals i think you should definitely give this a chance it was fun the dancing was great there were definitely heartwarming and heart wrenching moments that i felt Mm. some tears were shed i felt good about seeing it you know it was a good movie to come back to movies for so uh i liked it that's it that's that's all i got when when the abuela sings her song in the subway and all that stuff who god damn who boy Who boy. Yeah, I know. It's a lot. It's a lot, man. It's a lot. But yeah, yeah. I'm glad you dug it. I mean, maybe not as much as I did, but I'm glad that you liked it at least. Yeah, I don't I I, I, I think if <laughs> I think I'm I would be surprised if someone saw it who liked musicals and thought it was terrible. I'd love to hear why because to me, it as a musical it worked really well. Yeah, me too. Me too. Cool. How about you, buddy? Whack it on track. All right. So for whack the other night, um, I was working at the casino. Let me just tell you, man, if you were to tell me that I would meet dystopia in my 40s, I would have been like, not a thing. The world doesn't end while I'm in my 40s. I'm pretty sure. And the world is not over. But that said, it is a neon jungle in that casino, Liam. I don't know if you're aware. I'm sure. It's unlike anything I've ever experienced in my entire life. Um, So last week, a very belligerent and drunk white lady was cashing out chips and I was counting out like a whole lot of money. And she started banging on the window in front of me because I'm like in a cashier cage and was like, give me my fucking money and like yelling at me while I was counting money. And then she called me Ling Ling, at which point, I started cracking up and then she came at me on some like, what's so fucking funny. And I was like, bro, you skipped Kung Fu Panda and you went straight to Ling Ling. You were so (laughs) goddamn old. Yeah. And I called her old and then she got kicked out, but it was like, yo, Ling Ling dog word. Like that's where we're going with this. I'm not the only Asian person here. I'm just saying, and you're coming at me with some Ling Ling stuff, which is a panda 
for those millennials listening, an old one. But uh, yeah, so that I was know, not my not even the current panda, not even a current 2021 yeah. panda. <laughs> no, this is like 1991 panda talk. Ling Ling. The fuck, man. And uh, but yeah, I don't know. That was that was not my favorite. Um, otherwise, the job has been actually pretty funny. I've enjoyed myself uh, pretty much. Sure. It's like, you know. Not exactly where I figured I'd be, but it's not the worst thing I've done with my time. So, you know, pretty okay, I guess, by that measure. Um, so that's whack that a lady called me Lingley. On track, a couple things. Um, Allied has started doing the promo movies again in Philadelphia. So I've been, I've been privy to seeing a bunch of movies that I'm pretty psyched on. So the first one I will say that is completely on track for me is that me and my new friend Paul Sharkey are doing a show called Showtime with Sharky and Josh. And we are doing yep. it as a YouTube video, which is so cool because let me tell you something. Sharky's a wizard. I don't know if you're aware of that, Liam. Like our man's is a wizard and uh, he is filming and he like color corrected and did all the things. They had a clacker. He had a clacker that I clacked and uh, we shot. We we're going to be shooting like quick reviews of movies after we see them at the screener. So that's going to be the thing. Me and Shark are going to see a movie and then we're going to sit in his 96 Cadillac and he's going to film us talking about that movie directly after we see that movie in the parking lot of the movie theater. And so we did our first movie, which was the new Janixa Bravo um, movie called Zola. Do you know about this movie? Oh yeah. Based off a Twitter thread. It comes off, it's based on an 148 tweet Twitter thread, and it comes out on the 30th. So it comes out, I guess it came out today. Yeah, today. It is super. If you're a Janixa Bravo fan, which listeners of the show know, I am. This movie is so her. It's so bizarre. And it's so weird just how based in reality it is that I couldn't help but love it. It stars Taylor Page as the titular Zola sure. and um, Riley Keough as Stephanie, her friend. And okay. uh, my goodness, this movie. So basically the story is that this lady was like, you guys want to hear about a crazy weekend I had? And she tweeted about it in 2015. And it became like a viral story of the wildest stripper weekend that anyone has ever gone through. And um You'll get my full review when you watch the first episode of Showtime with Sharky and Josh coming to YouTube. But uh, I will say just for now, this movie was everything that like, because I didn't know about the Twitter thread. You know what I mean? Because like, you know, Liam, I'm not good at Twitter. You're so, so old. Yeah, I am so old. So like, I don't really know about, I don't know about viral stories and all this yeah. other stuff. Like I get it, but I, yeah. I didn't know about this going in. So I just went in thinking like, okay, it's going to be a wild story. And it was exactly that. It was a fucking wild story. And it's so beautiful. And um, it's it's exactly what you'd expect from Genix to Bravo. So that movie I saw, I saw a movie called F9, The Fast Saga. And uh, it, I, that was pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, I also saw a movie called uh, False I mean, you Positive. Loved, you, on, loved, you loved it, right? F9. You were into it. F9. Let me tell you something about some F9. I, the screener for that movie was at 1 p.m. on a Tuesday. Yeah. Which is also my band practice night. And I also had work. So understand that my day was, I woke up at like 11 o'clock or something like that. 
me and Milani uh, met up with uh, another homie and we went and saw the movie at one. And then we left the movie at like damn near four. And we ended up getting food at Reading Terminal Market moving forward, known as RTM. And then I met up with Andrew and Bo to go to practice at Dave's house by five, which I then got home from at like eight. And then I had to be at the casino by 11 to be there until seven in the morning. So I was 20 miles of ragged road by the end of that shift. I thought I was dead. I like got on the train and I blinked and then I was home. And I don't even remember walking home. It was crazy. Part of that is because of the adrenaline rush that is Fast and the Furious 9, F9, the Fast Saga, sir. And I don't know. I don't know if I can say anything that'll bring anything to the discourse. All I could say is that <laughs> when uh, I told Scully that I was going to see it, and he was like, oh, I got the next screener for it. I'm like, all right, cool. And then after the movie, I just texted Scully the word, bruh, B-R-U-H, bruh. And he was like, yeah. And then I was just like, bruh. That's what I said. And then after like a couple days later, he saw it and I texted him like question marks and he just wrote back the word bruh. Because that's the kind of language me and Dan Scully share, just so you know. It's a it's a bond. It's a love. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. So no, I don't know anything details. about what you're saying. I'm okay with that. You know, it's not for you then, Liam. It's not for you. But I, mean, I will I'm, say I'm gonna, I I'm a, gonna I, see it. I'm definitely gonna see it. I just don't know if I'm gonna bust ass to see it. You know what I mean? Like I don't I don't fair. have the deep hey. I don't have the deep love that you and Scully seem to have for this series. Although, you know, the, there are there are films in this series I can't disrespect that are just like undeniable. And when people try to say like, nah, it's bad top to bottom, I'm like, look, I was a hater. And I saw these movies and there are some real fucking gems in there. But for me, <laughs> I was let down by Fate, whatever that was. Fate of the Furious. <laughs> Fate of the Furious? Yeah. That was already a beginning of the end movie for me. So if if Fanine doesn't go to new levels, which I'm sure it does, but it, it, it's got to win me back because I was kind of not well, into it. Well, here's eight. the funny thing about Fanine is that uh, so it, fans of the series know and this is not a spoiler. This is just the thing that happens in the movie that, I mean, it's not in the trailer, but you, you have to know this is coming. So people, fans of the series know that the character played by Tyrese Gibson, Roman, isn't really given much agency in the movie. He's kind of in there for some weird comic relief purposes. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like in for 7, he's like jumping out of airplanes with his car parachutes and he's all scared. He doesn't want to jump. And then, you know, Tej pulls the thing and the parachute shoots out the back and all that. And he's yelling like, I hate you, Tej. All that stuff. So he's kind of like a comic relief character in the entire series. We can agree on that, right? Right. In, in for 9. My man suddenly out of the entire group is given these lines of weird, insightful meta reading of the entire franchise. When he's just talking to people in the scenes that they have where they're in like wherever clubhouse they're at. And he's like, don't you guys think it's weird that like we outrun like a submarine on ice and like that people shoot at us and we don't get shot. And then like cars get stuck to magnets and stuff. And like, you know, we've we've fought tanks with our cars and yet nothing has ever happened to us. And like it turns into this weird, like, like this weird meta moment throughout the movie, and it's all delivered deadpan by Tyrese. That it's so fucking genius in my mind. It's so goddamn funny. It's such a good way to be like winky winky without being winky winky. It's brilliant. 
And that's the thing about this movie, right? Like that's the whole thing. It's a take. And I'm in on the heist, man. I love it. <laughs> it's great. Let's keep on like there's going to be a moment when something's going to happen. Vin Diesel is yeah. going to grow a wing and fly away where everybody's going to just jump ship, myself included. I know it. it's going to happen. There's something that's going to happen. And we're all going to be like, you know what, Vin Diesel, you, yeah. it's a bridge. We're done. Too far it's now. Too far. And you've done yeah, the yeah. thing. I think up until that moment is achieved, we're going to see as far as we can go until we reach that moment. And I can say from experience that I'm here for all of it so far. I have not yet bailed. I have not hit the eject button. No ejector seat, baby. None of that. Still in. Right. This is and furious. This is already more family content than I'm entirely comfortable with. So let's move on to the next movie. So the other things that I've done, as Liam edits my glowing review of Fanine, <laughs> um, I've seen, uh, I saw a movie yesterday called The Forever Purge. Oh, sure. So where yeah. do you stand on the Purge movies? Where are you on the Purge movies? You know, I mean, there are some that I think are better than others, but even the ones okay. that I was, su- that. The, but even the ones I was surprised that they're pretty good. Don't justify. It's not the same as the, the fact, like since we'll do, let's do a direct comparison. These are both franchises that are kind of popular. Obviously Purge is not nearly as popular as the Fast and Furious movies, but they're similar in that, the ones that are good are surprising. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. mm-hmm. I think I forget which one, but uh, I've seen now all of the purge movies and a couple of them, I think are really good. And some of them are just painful to watch, but the good mm-hmm. ones for me don't justify the series. Like I think it's actually rational to say, Oh, by the time you get to fast five, it's really good. And that's not a crazy thing mm-hmm. to say. But for the Purge mm-hmm. movies, the ones that are good don't make me go, oh, that's worth it then. It's all worth it because of this. Whereas for, like, I really felt like watching Fast Five and Fast Six, I was like, you know what? This is fine. It's worth it because these are so much fun. <laughs> you know, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's definitely a different polarity. Like, the Purge movies aren't fun by any stretch of the imagination. No. You know what I mean? They're all like, they're all these like weird treatises on like some type of like class system, whatever perceptions that the filmmakers have. My conception is this my read on the Purge movies is this. The first Purge movie was Suburban Fear. It was a white guy in a house in the suburbs that thought he was safe. And then all these people start coming and breaking in because of the purge. And like, it was kind of fucked up in terms of its sociopolitical read of that movie. I think we can both agree, right? I think that's fair. I feel like every subsequent movie after that first one has just been an apology for that movie to the point where (laughs) we are now in like the fourth installment, right? Of this, of this series. We're in like three paths because there were two with Frank Grillo. And then there was the first purge, which was like a prequely kind of thing. Right, right. Right. And now there's this one. And this movie is just kind of it should have been called White Guilt the movie. And sure. you know what? Hundred percent here for it. Put it right in my eyeball. Yeah. I want to see it. I, I I am here for it. I mean, I won't say that I I mean, okay, I've seen every single one of these movies in the theater. Yeah, I don't remember any one thing about any of the other movies other than that Ethan Hawke was in the first one and then Frank Grillo is in two of them because I love Frank Grillo. Yeah, I remember so, Frank Grillo and I remember the 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 
first purge felt suddenly a lot more not that the frank grillo ones aren't political but they really mm-hmm. ramped it up for that fourth that fourth one was like also fuck the system and i was like whoa yeah. all right all right yeah and this one it goes in that same direction like yo man fuck the system and fuck slave labor and you know we're sorry that migrant workers have to move to places to make money for their families and all that and escape drug cartels but you know this is what it is and america is fucked and it's like it's basically that that's what this movie is and it's like man it's like it's just like ah, I, I mean again I'm, I'm not saying i didn't enjoy it it was fine I, was, I had fun. There is no characters or anything like that. There's no like idea about anything except for like, you know, the one white dude that's all like, oh man, I don't like Mexicans. And then by the end of the movie, he's like, thank you, amigo. Like that kind of like weird <laughs> like, character turn. It's basically, you know, in the three amigos at the beginning of the movie when John Lovitz is like, you know, you meet this guy, he's, he's your rivals, and then, you know, you do a thing, and then bam, you're friends. The amigos are friends. Like, it's like basically. Right. That's the entire oeuvre of like the post first purge movies. I mean, this is like me, me and Doug were talking about this house. Some of the exploit, there's a few exploitation movies from the seventies, right. That are like totally created and written by white people that are about like minority groups having revenge against white people. And they're not meant to be celebratory. They're meant to be scary. So like the audience, the assumed audience is white folks who like watch it and go, Oh no, this group, whoever it is, is going to get revenge on us, and it's really scary. But then, like, I watch it in 2021 as a person of color and go, ha this is great. <laughs> like, because, because unintentionally, they've actually made something that's celebratory for me. That wasn't the intent. Yeah. But, you know, it's kind of like that, like, these movies, like, they, they're so... Like movies like Tenement, movies yeah, like... Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Ten- was, Tenement, I think, yeah. is a little too cruel. But there's a there's a movie called, like, Johnny Thunderbolt or some shit like that. Like <laughs> it's like real awkward indigenous revenge against white people movie that like I end up being like, yeah, that's fun. I'm into that. Yeah. yeah. Get, <laughs> go, get them all. Go get them all, Johnny Thunderbolt, you know. <laughs> that they were designed to be cautionary tales is the funniest part about that. Oh but, yeah. You know, I digress. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Anyways, go ahead. So uh two other movies. Uh, I saw a movie on Shutter last night called Vicious Fun that was uh recently put on that platform. Do you know about this movie? It's from 2020. I haven't watched it yet. It's a fun movie. It's a, the premise is that this kid ends up accidentally attending uh, like a therapy group for uh, addiction, people who are addicted to serial killing. And he oh, tries sure. to fake like he's supposed to be there because he's in a room full of killers. So he's like trying to pretend like, oh, no, no, no. I'm the, the guy who wasn't here yet. Yeah, that's me. I'm that guy. So like he's trying to lie to pretend that he's a serial killer that belongs in the serial killer support group. And he's trying not to get found out by the other serial killers in the room because he knows that they're killers and that they will kill him. So that's on Shutter right now. It's pretty good. Also, I saw a movie on Hulu streaming called False Positive. Do you know about this movie? I heard about it, but I haven't seen it. It stars Ilana Glazer for people who are fans of the television show yeah. Broad City. And it is not funny. <laughs> it's a horror movie. And uh, yeah. it's it's basically she is she she gets pregnant 
like, you know, and like her husband's a doctor and they live in that same strange white Brooklyn that like uh, Obvious Child was directed in or Jenny Slate. Like, oh, yeah, here we are in Brooklyn where there's no people, anyone darker than a paper bag in this entire movie. Enjoy. And uh, so this is in that same kind of like weird, like white Brooklyn setting. And um, they need to have a baby and they can't have a baby. So then they go see a doctor played by Pierce Brosnan. And um, he does like a treatment and she ends up getting pregnant. And then like all this stuff plays out. It's basically like a paranoia, like gaslighting kind of movie with notes of uh, Rosemary's baby to it. I found it to be relatively effective. I thought it was pretty good. I actually was really uh, impressed by Alana Glazer's range in this movie just because we only know her as a comedy actor. Right. I only know her from Broad City. So like and I find her to be completely charming and hilarious on that show. And to see her as like the harrowed hysterical woman in this movie was pretty good. I thought she did it really effectively. And uh, I give it a recommend. Enjoy. You know what? Because. My sugar's a little low right now. I wasn't quite thinking. I forgot to mention, I got a pass for the Chattanooga Film Fest, and I watched the movies. Oh, I, I will, did that last year. How was it this year? Uh, it was pretty good. I, you know, I these are always actually bad for me. I know that for a lot of people, the online experience is actually better than going to something. Mm. But as we've discussed before, it's terrible for me because if I'm not like in a new space where I have to mm. go to movies, I will always end up making dinner and hanging out with my family and not watching any movies. So I only saw a few, <laughs> I only saw a few movies. So let me just really quick go through those. I don't want to waste anyone's time. I'll go in them on more depth on horror business since it is a horror fest, you know, uh, but just a quick run through for people who don't listen to horror business. I watched that folk documentary, um, the name is really long, so I don't want to have to remember it. But it's like Woodlands. <laughs> it's like Woodlands Dark and something, something. It, it, you know, it was directed by Kira Janice. If you find her, you'll oh. find the movie. Yeah, it's really good. It's really long though. That was part of the reason I didn't watch a lot of stuff. It's like three and a half hours long. So I finished Jesus. that, which meant I didn't get to see that many other movies. Uh, but it's really good, and I feel like it was worth it. If you are someone who is interested in folk horror, it's worth watching, especially because they expand. For a lot of people, folk horror just means the big three from England, you know, Wicker Man, Witchfinder General, and Blood on Satan's Claw, uh, and then movies that are like those. But they did the work of expanding internationally and focusing on Australia and Japan and Russia, Eastern Europe, and uh, all kinds of other Asian films. And it's, it's a pretty big oeuvre of stuff that they're covering. Mm-hmm. The drawback, of course, is now there's a million movies that I want to see that I don't know if I'll get to see them, but um, but it's really yeah. worth it's it's really worth checking out. I really liked it. Plus, you know, fellow Cinepunk person and you know friend of the show Sam Deegan is featured prominently as well, so that's worth it for that. Nice. Yay. I also there was an Australian film. I actually watched two of the films I watched were Australian. One was called. Um, an ideal host. It's super low budget. It's like beyond low budget. There's only a little bit of special effects in it. Clearly made by some friends at a house over the weekend, but it's so funny and so like clever that I think it's really worth seeing. I don't want to ruin it. It's, you know, we're, we're not spoiler phobic on this podcast, but this is the sort of movie that the less, you know, going the less, you know, the better. The better. Yeah, yeah. 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 Really, really, really well done. Well acted. I think just like clever movie, you know, not groundbreaking or anything, but just like, 
proves you can do a pretty good movie for like no money at all. Uh, and then another mm. movie I watched based upon Justin Lore's recommendation, I watched uh, Bloodshot Heart, which is also Australian. It's a bit of like a psychological kind of like reality bending thriller. I thought it was pretty good. It, it rode pretty well on the performances. Um, I think Josh, knowing how particular you are about movies that depict mental health, I don't know that you would mm. love it. I think people who are okay. particular about mental health would be 50, 50 on the movie. Um, Okay. Because it, it really focuses on a character who's losing touch with reality. For me, I thought it worked, but I think for someone who maybe didn't like the way it portrayed his slow loss his with illness. reality, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but it did do a good job of never specifically identifying what it is he's going through. Like, I think a film actually suffers when they're like, oh, he's schizophrenic, or oh, he. Mm. we don't need a diagnosis. Just show us that he's losing touch. That's all we need. And that, I think it, it yeah, did a good that. job of that. So, um, and then I started a movie that seemed really cool called the dim lands, but I wasn't able to finish it. So I don't know where it was going. Cause it wasn't good or you got tired because I got busy and then the fest was over. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that happens. It. That yeah. happens. Uh, so hopefully I'll get a chance to finish it and it'll be good. But that was it. That was my whole experience. Luckily, Justin Lore was able to watch, I think, 10 movies. So uh, if you check out the next ish, uh, episode of Horror Business, he'll have reviews and and he got a much broader view of the fest than I did. But <laughs> Cool. All right, let's take a cool. break. I'm really excited to talk about these movies. So we're going to take a quick break. What movies are we talking about, we'll Liam? We'll be right back to talk about Michael Mann's Heat and uh, Martin Scorsese's Casino. Hey, yo, MC and my people call me man. I'm everywhere like air, so watch as I expand. Live and direct from out the Flatbush lands. Cause I got more rhymes than the beach got sand. Well, yo, MC and my people call me out. Can't forget the double E major I rock well. In 86, used to sport Pumas with gazelles. 96, yo, I just rock mics and excess. Hey, yo, MC, AB, people call me out. See me on Jamaica air, sipping half for half. I got a special issue mic that's guaranteed still. Bustin' rhymes at the crowd to make sure they feel us the three MCs. We hold these mics tight. We the three MCs. We do it right, eh? With a scratch and a cut. Well, it's a combination of wicked and straight. See, most of y'all really do not know how you should operate. You need to contemplate because you really cannot stop the way. Just cooperate. Let me select the path. You do not know the half simply because you don't know the math on how to automate the crack. So follow the leader, the non ether. Rappers get split like amoeba by the fire breather. Confirm beyond recognition. It's Mr. Man, the actor, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I crack a 45 caliber, uh, high low tip pen. Uh, make him say what happened when he be rapping. Yeah. Make him move, son, I kill bystanders and all. Check right. the autops, the words yeah. that I drop in the skull. Uh -huh. If yeah. you want it, they control. Pull out your best rhyme. Right. Make your same gun finger turn into peace sign. Yeah. With the Elsa gun, though. Yeah. Came back with tips while it uh -huh. hip-hop. Show these niggas how you drop We about to drop it like the far side of Reggie Miller Camouflage on, rescue and rap gorilla Trickling down, verb now cascade Precious as Jade, never heard the word fade Positive vibes is way too influential Whack mouth sayers, need to keep it confidential Kick it up like tornadoes, trash cast, kid tomato Beat you like Bruno, watch your eye get potato It was a Friday night and no moves was being faking And the people was faking and the house was shaking And it won't be long, so everybody know 
going at the three MCs was on the mic, going at the three MCs was on the mic, going. Yeah, you see me dapper, me come to make a one speech, you know. You see my old them, we don't watch no face, you know. As I want that, me I make a O. As a lyrics where I defend you, father. Get them up, get them out lyrics, get them out lyrics. Yo, check me out, boy, in high speed or slow mo. Came down to earth to rock this ill promo. Never sound whack on tape, 'cause that's a no no. Turn me up, laugh, and put the needle to the floor. Pimps, players, mafiosos, and thieves Make me wonder, is there any room for just the MC? Same shit, different beat, can't take it no more You and your man bought the same rhyme from the same store Double it from the same store and kick the rhyme until your throat sore Now we got to up the ante much, much more Allah put us all here for a reason We about to change the seasons From these three, you'll never smell season If you don't get it now, I guarantee you get it later I make the planet bounce from the post to the equator Peninsulas, every island and the continents I grab the mic and add flavor like the We the 3MC. I know we hold these mics tight. We the 3MC. Yeah, we keep it right all night. With a scratch and a cut. Ha ha. We about to pass it up. Well, it's a combination. The wicked history. And a big request unto the real MCs. And a, the music is for you and me. And a, we run things and we don't go easy. We're back. What's up? <laughs> so uh, we're here to talk about Michael Mann's Heat, and we're here to talk about Marty Scorsese's Casino. I like that you said Marty because you and you and you and Scorsese are real close like that. Yeah, yeah. Me and Marty, we go way back. I don't know. I've seen some of his prints at the uh, r- r- the Nitrate Film Festival. You know what I'm saying? I saw his print of uh, his personal print of Rebecca, <laughs> you know? So yeah, I feel like me and Marty go, you know, we, we're, we're, we're down, we're down homies. It's cool. He shares his movies with me and, uh, you know, uh, I tell him he can tell his friends that he has a Filipino friend. So it's cool. It's all good. I'm sure he has other Filipino friends. Yeah. All these Italian dudes are like, Hey Marty, how come you don't got any more of those Filipinas in your movie? And he's like, yeah, funny. You should mention, I got a Filipino friend in Philadelphia. Oh my God. So, uh, so, so we, you know, part of this experience y'all was that we're recording probably later than we, you know, would normally partly because these are two of the longest movies ever made. That's not true. They are. They're like eight hour long. Yeah. Let's, let's put it this way. They're two of the longest movies that have actual impact on pop culture. Cause there are definitely longer, like six, eight hour movies, stuff like that. But these are very tango and like stuff like that by Bellatar, like these movies, but these are very long movies for pop culture movies. Cause that's what these are. These are like popular movies that are pushing the three hour mark. Yes. Agreed. They are definitely long. Isn't there a director's cut of uh, of Casino also that's like longer? There was I, one that was like I don't know. It's it seemed interminable. I don't. Want, also, I don't. I don't want that. I don't want. I don't want more than three hours of Casino. That's enough Casino. I will tell you, I was wrapped in both of these movies. Well, let's. Start I was with, there for both of these movies. Let's start with Heat. Tell me about your relationship with Heat when you first saw it. If you're like a Michael Mann fan, all that stuff. First of all, the one thing that I thought about when we were watching Heat by Michael Mann 
was that people who uh, address director Michael Mann probably have called him Mr. Mann. <laughs> Fans of the show know. Fans of the show know that I'm a huge fan of Mr. Man the Nine Ether from a famous hip hop band, The Bush Babies. And, uh, you know, I'm everywhere like air, so watch as I expand. Mr. Man, that was my shit. And I just think about someone being like, hey, Mr. Man, <laughs> that shit is so funny to me. Anyway, um, that said, I am unacquainted with the movies of Michael Mann, and this is the first time I've ever seen Heat. Stop it. What other movies by Michael Mann should I know? Are you fucking joking right now? Not even a little bit. And I'm not looking at my phone either because I like the organic repartee between me and my co-host, Liam O'Donnell. So, Liam, what other movies by Michael Mann should I know? Oh, my God. I'm like so I'm like deeply offended right now. Honestly, if I I'm get being, it. If I'm being That's honest. fair. OK, let's you start. Let's start. Let's start at the beginning. How about a little movie called Thief? You know, the movie Thief. No. Fuck. I'm already bummed. Okay. Never saw Thief. Uh, Thief is it's like an it's like a must watch. You have to see Thief. How about a little movie called The Insider? No, never saw The Insider. How about Collateral? No, never saw Collateral. Uh, okay. I am what would be known as a Michael Mann neophyte. The Last of the Mohicans. Mr. Mann. I saw Last of the Mohicans. Okay, Ma- Manhunter. No. Uh, Black Hat. Nope. Oh, man. Uh, the Miami Vice movie. Is Don Johnson in it? No, no, the Miami Vice movie. No. Oh my gosh, uh, Ali. No. Um, let me look for one of his older, The Keep. Oh, with Jurgen Prop now. Uh, yep. Yeah, see The Keep. Okay. All right. So Only see- because of Jurgen Prop now. Uh, yeah, I mean, for a lot of people, Michael Mann is a mixed bag for me between Thief and Manhunter and some of these other like he um, he's an all timer. I get that not everybody loves all of his films, and I don't know that I could go to bat for all of his movies, but uh, there's a lot of just really great things in there. I don't, I don't know. I love him. I mean, Maybe- I, I respect that he's like an influential filmmaker. I definitely saw hints of like bad boys in this movie. I saw hints of action movies that have come after the fact. You know what I'm saying? Like, I sure. get it. Like, uh, so my experience watching Heat was like, oh, this is the reference point for a movie like Bad Boys for Life. Like, this is the reference point for a movie it like feels Wrath like of it, Man. Right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's, I get it. He, he, I'm assuming he's the guy that did that. Like, that's his thing. Like those weird sweeping action sequences and like very kinetic camera motions as the action sequences are sweeping out, like these kinds of, uh, choices that he makes. Like I, I see the blueprint moving forward. So I get it. Yeah. Heat was a movie. Heat is a movie that for me, I saw it when it came out. I thought it was great. I think at the time it became a bit of a joke only because I think both Al Pacino and Robert De Niro were considered starting to be considered a little past their prime for this kind of movie. You know, I mean, I will say oh, they they both are with uh, younger women that are not quite believable 
Uh, so that that <laughs> that aspect, I'll 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 give it to you that maybe they seem a little old, but all three of you know both of them and Val Kilmer in this movie, I think, are fucking great, just great. Um, and some of the action sequences, and not just the classic one, like obviously the shootout in the street outside the uh. bank. That is the climax of the movie is an all timer. Like it's just yeah. next level, unbelievable stuff. It's so good. Like they've even used it in military training videos and stuff like that. Like that shit is insane to me. That Val Kilmer changing the clip out of his machine gun was used in military training because of how good he did it. <laughs> really? Batman? Really? But okay, sure. I don't know anything about warfare. But Maybe I also think but I also think that. that first sequence when they rob the armor truck is also very good. And oh, yeah. and even the like climax at the airfield, it's two old men, you know, hunting each other is still really good. I just think a lot of the action in this film really works and i think it's very compelling yeah yeah it directs the eye in a way that uh action sequences don't always do and the ones that don't are the ones that are bad so this is good action sequences a lot right and i think that one of the reasons this movie probably gets a lot of pushback is that it's peak it's peak two things that have become cliches one is uh uh, circumspect, not really super acting Robert De Niro. This is Robert De Niro. I'm quiet and pensive Robert De Niro. And if you think that doesn't work, this is like the ultimate of that. And this is peak. I'm fucking chewing the scenery Al Pacino. Just <laughs> she's got a big ass Al Pacino. You know? <laughs> like this is this is where that if you've seen that meme, which if you are on the Internet, you've definitely seen that meme. This is where it comes from. And yet I love it. I think this is perfect. It, it's yeah. almost a perfect movie for me. If if this was if this was there's a bit to it that feels very 1995 in a way mm -hmm. that can't be self-aware because we didn't know that that was going to be a cliche. You know what I mean? Like we didn't know there's, there's also, I think that um, the impact of the Natalie Porton subplot doesn't really hit. You know what I mean? I didn't even understand what was going on with the Natalie Portman subplot. I think that what's interesting for me about heat is how, it's so sprawling, you know, like we've made jokes about yeah. it being so long for a popular movie, but it's also a very sprawling film. It's taking its time and yet it still has a sense of like tension, like each of the it set still has pieces a sense of sense. urgency. Yeah, right. Each of the sets play out at a pace that makes perfect sense for how they're playing out. Mm -hmm. Nothing feels perseverated upon for no reason. I will you say, yeah, except for totally. the Natalie Portman. Okay, so here's the thing. The Natalie Portman thing, I get it. People worried about white kids killing themselves. I get it. That's a bummer. But like also it's like it seems so jarred in there, especially at the like the resolution right. of it with her in the bathtub. As I was just like, what the fuck is happening, man? Like you go to Harvard, girl. Don't worry about it. You're gonna be all right. You know, but it's I also think, just okay, like I think what's there's two things going on here. One is <clears throat> we're seeing something like hope for the Al Pacino character, right? Both, okay. uh, you know, a lot of the movie is showing us how similar 
Al Pacino is to the men he is chasing, right? But there's okay. so, there's right. something about his connection to his wife and to his stepchild and how he is connected to uh, the Natalie Portman character and how um, uh-huh. how she you know despite she despite like him not being her dad he still has like a compassionate right, right. and connection she, to her the, you know the idea that she chooses him right she could have chosen uh, her dad but she chooses where he is at as the place where she ends her life or tries to and it's you know it's unclear whether this is like a call for help or you know a sincere attempt I don't know that that matters. What matters is that there's something happening narratively. Now I'm def- I'm not defending mm-hmm. it. I don't know that it works. And in fact, the idea that this is the that this is the sort of plot point you need to add humanity to the story is what makes this movie even more painfully 90s than Val Kilmer's mm. fucking ponytail which is you know <laughs> between between Val Kilmer's ponytail and Robert De Niro's goatee there's something like ridiculously 90s about this movie but also the idea of like oh we got to add some grit and some character here I know Natalie Portman <laughs> is like she's part of a broken home and she's sad because her dad's not there and so like she's just gonna you know try to kill herself it is it's honestly cheap i mean that's the thing i want to defend it because i understand the logic of it but 100 percent in 2021 yeah watching this movie turn it's cheap it's a cheap attempt to add something to the movie and it is not only cheap but what they couldn't have known at the time that we know now is it's a cliche because they did this in the 90s all the time of like not just suicide but like kinder trauma the trauma of youth to add Mm. something to this movie something more human and it doesn't need it right right? right, right, the narrative of no it doesn't the narrative of these angry obsessive old men fighting each other is you know uh, not a full picture of the world but it's still compelling if they wanted to add something some stronger female characters would have been great one of the things that film never really handles well is why this woman goes with robert de niro Right. The moment where Robert De Niro chooses to leave her is like amazing. It's actually power. It's so powerful. That could be the end of the film. You don't actually need. I think it's a good scene. I think it works. But you don't need Al Pacino killing Robert De Niro in the airfield. You don't need that. The moment where he shows you on his face that he is so disciplined that even though he's turning his whole life around for her, he's going to leave her because that's what he trained himself to do. That could be the end of the fucking movie right there because, you know, and you'd even, be OK with it. Yeah. Well, because even if he gets away with his life, he's failed. Right. Because there was yeah. this this window open for him to become a human because he's made himself inhuman to be good at what he does. And there's this connection he has where maybe he will be redeemed and he chooses the other way. So he has died, even though he is still not died. He has died. You know, mm-hmm. that could be the end of the movie. And maybe it would be a better movie if that was the end of the movie. But I don't think so. I like that they shoot each other on the uh, I like or he shoots him on the airfield. Like, I like all of that. Yeah, I think that, that sequence is great. Yeah. And just the whole hand holding as he dies, like that sequence I thought was really powerful with no words like that was cool. But yeah, the love interest for De Niro in this movie is so weird because like right before he meets her at that upscale coffee shop, whatever place, 
he's in the bookstore and she like runs in, sees him and then like is gone and then cut to the interior of that restaurant. I'm like, wait a minute. Is she like an agent or something? Is she like spying on our man? Like the whole thing is weird. Also that that's not Andy McDowell was surprising to me because I thought it was Andy McDowell. But uh, it's but not, I know it's her not. from something else. I it, it wasn't surprising for me because I feel like I know her from something else. I think Eva was saying that she was like a judge on some TV show or something. <laughs> he was no, like, yeah, she she's did like a judge. She did some acting some too. TV something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. know her from okay. something. But fair enough. But I will say, so that's what that's what's such an interesting decision, right? Like, you know, we've got this story that is just, I mean to put it in the most blatant way possible. This is a Cox story. This is about Cox. Is, is there a, yeah, is there a, a bunch of story? Well, but, with, but, like, but, but yeah. very much like it's these men are swinging their dicks around and, and, and they're older <laughs> men and it's like about their older male egos and all this stuff. And so when they're like, okay, like it really feels like they're like, okay, we've got a lot of this male energy. We need to add some nuance and some, you know, difference of storytelling. Why go to the Natalie Portman suicide thing? We should know more about their <laughs> love interests. We know nothing about either of these women, really. Like, we know the one woman is divorced and is like uh-huh. maybe not a great mother. And we know the other woman works at a bookstore. And that's it. And instead of giving <laughs> us more time with those ladies, they make us know more about Natalie Portman wanting to kill herself. I don't know why that you think Mr. Man was like, Mr. Man was like, you know what? That might take the narrative a little bit further than three hours that I'd be hoping for. So let's just throw kid suicide in there to cover that hole right up. I, it probably wasn't <laughs> that, like, but, but it's, it's again, I'm I, I, for fans of this movie. They're probably feel like I'm being unfair, but let me be clear. I'm harping on this because I think the rest of the movie is actually fucking great. Like, like next yeah. level action cinema, just a movie that really works and has some of the most amazing, like uh, people talk about that shoot that, that shootout outside of the bank uh-huh. because it's yeah. so good. And we should mention this. I don't know how important this is to people, but it's unique because it uses live sound that a lot of these movies use yeah. recorded sound. And instead they just shot blanks on the streets of LA and put that echoing gunfire into the movie and it's fucking haunting man the sound of that gunfire yeah, reverberating off of those buildings is fucked up it is fucked up but it feels so real because yep. of that sound element right like it doesn't feel like it was added in post it feels like it was happening as it was happening and it gives the entire scene the sense of kineticism that you don't get in a lot of action movies with shootouts and stuff of which there are hundreds literal thousands of shootouts in movies and this one is one of the ones I can close my eyes and, and refer back to almost thoughtlessly. I want to point it's because of those sounds. I want to point out too that this is a great example of a film that is unintentionally an anti-cop movie. Because, you know, I, I, I don't think Michael Mann making the movie is like, I want to show how futile it is to have this force of violent dudes who don't actually protect us and are really bad at getting the bad guys and just exist as like their own gang. I don't think that was the goal. But that's what happens in the movie. Like by showing the reality of who the cops are and what the cops are capable of, you realize that like they don't really bring a lot to the table here. There's not, there's not a lot. And, and in fact, 
as you know, the movie doesn't want to lionize the bank robbers. Like, so they show you, you know, first you have the unwilling killing of the guard people. And it's clear that that's the Nazi guy's fault. And by having them being betrayed by a Nazi, it makes you feel more sympathetic towards them. But the shootout outside the bank, I think is meant to make them unsympathetic because they are. Yeah. Like Tom Sizemore picks up a kid and is running around with a kid thinking they're not going to shoot him because he's got a kid. Like that's not what a good person does. No. And let's talk about Tom Sizemore for a little bit. Hold on. Hold on. I I just want to finish this point. Oh yeah. But what the movie, but, but it's not that hard to, figure out that if the police had a way to deal with these men that wasn't show up and shoot them, then these people would be in less danger. So it's like you're watching it going like, oh, well, clearly they're just trying to show the reality of the situation. But it still is not like copaganda in any way, shape, or form. No one watching this movie goes, well, clearly Al Pacino is a fucking hero. You're like, that man is also unhealthy. Like, what? The, no, yeah. no part of this is good. All of this is bad. This is bad. Top yeah, no bottom. part of it is redemptive even. No, like, there's no. no part of their their character makeup that's like, oh, well, you know, he's doing it because his mama needs a kidney. Like, there's none of that in no, there. No. And it's like, it's all just, these are bad people. Yeah. Go with Tom, man, so, Tom, Tom Sizemore. Tom Sizemore, huh? Like, oh, pre-drug or actually in the middle of drug Tom Sizemore? Not a bad actor. I'm no, gonna say I like it. Him. My man I was like doing him. the mission. Yeah, I was like, yeah, this dude's like, he is like a George Clooney character. Like, he's doing the thing. Let's and, stop. Uh, Let's I stop was, here, actually, and name the fact that almost everyone in this movie, from the biggest role to the smallest role, is famous now. That, like, in every yeah. scene, there's at least one person who has a small role that you're like, oh, that guy's a big deal. Oh, that that lady, yeah. she's important now. Like, over and over again, there were people who like end up having this, you know, fucking Henry Rollins is in this movie. Henry Rollins, Henry Rollins is, in this, is in this movie. The guy, Jesus Christ. The guy he works for is a well-known character actor. All of the detectives you've seen in other things. The guy yeah. the, the the guy who they get to drive the car last minute is the insur- that insur- is, auto insurance yeah, guy. The Allstate guy. Yeah. I was like, oh shit, he's not in good hands, but he's here. Like, that's our man. Yeah. <laughs> again, good, again, and awesome. a, again and again in this movie, they turn a corner and there's someone that you're like, oh, yep, all right. Yep, I know that person. Okay. <laughs> Oh shit, that dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. This movie is I mean, again, this is one of the movies I've never seen this movie before now, and I loved it. It's so good. I enjoyed I'm it so very much from top it. to bottom. I really like Val Kilmer's character in the movie and right. uh what's her name? Ashley Judd. Like I think that their interplay is so toxic and so awful. But like the weird change of heart for her at the end, right where she's about to like sell him out is pretty great. Like that scene mm-hmm. is awesome. And Val Kilmer as like a weird degenerate gambler guy. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like basically the same role that he played as Jim Morrison, but like with a gun this time. It's so hard. It. It's so hard too, because on one hand, De Niro's decision to go and get revenge is a, is a bad decision. He could have made a right. decision to get he away. Could have clean. just escaped. Yeah. Yeah. On the other hand, when he shoots that fucking Nazi, it's so satisfying. It's, oh, it's, it really, really is. It's so frustrating, but it's also so satisfying. It's like, again, that's what what the movie does a lot, actually, is give you what you want and what you don't want at the same fucking time, right? That mm. like, like when is you're that watching- like a Mr. Man thing? Well, 
It's certainly this movie. It's certainly the theme of this movie. I don't know. I wouldn't say, because as much as I appreciate Michael Mann, I appreciate him because he's done a number of movies that I think are amazing. But I haven't sat and done a full watch through of all of his stuff, so I don't know what themes are there per se. I will say that like he has like three or four movies that I think are all-time greats, and that's enough for me. But uh, maybe what mm. we'll do, maybe what we need to start doing is occasional like series where we go for specific directors. Like deep dive style. Yeah. Yeah. We, we could literally go sequentially through Michael Mann's films. Like let's just go do a double of Thief and Manhunter and go from there. Although, uh, granted, mm. you know, I'm not a big Last of the Mohicans fan. You know what I mean? Mm. But I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd sit through it for the point of like – covering you know what i mean like of doing the coverage but anyways um in this movie at least there's a sense of like a lot of times when you're getting something like when you're watching a heist film right one of the things that's mm. very satisfying about a heist film is the precision and the intelligence of the criminals you're watching the heisters, them yes pull off this heist and what this movie does a lot of times is show you that and then show you the flaw so like they're mm. perfect and then this one jerk off shoots the guard for no reason there's yeah. no reason yeah, for that yeah, yeah. or they're going to murder him outside the diner and it's like perfectly timed and then there's a cop and then he gets away yeah yeah that happens a lot so with a lot of this movie it, it, same with the cops right the cops are like mm. almost smarter than the criminals and then they're fucking not you know what i mean and that yeah and that, then like ashley judd makes the hand motion and fucking val kilmer gets the fuck away yeah Ugh. yeah so or, good. So or like good. they've got them totally covered and they don't even know it fully. And then mm -hmm. they figure it out at the fucking what's the they're they're robbing the one place and then they just stop robbing and walk away like that shit. You're really starting to think like, wow, these cops are really on top of their shit. And then they're not right, because uh, mm -hmm. uh, it's this idea that like um, part of what seems to be happening in the film. And I don't want to get too metaphysical here, but it's this idea that humans are trying to carve their way through chaos. That through mm. discipline and planning, we can control chaos, which the, is what the world really is, is chaos. And again and again, mm. they can't, right? They can't control the chaos, you know? Even like, right, right, even right. the even the last scene is that, right? Robert De Niro is trying to time his attack on Al Pacino so that the lights will blind Al Pacino. And that's a good mm. plan. Only what he doesn't think about is the way his shadow will give him away. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so, like, I mm -hmm. think that is, like, a theme of the whole film is that, like, uh, you know, this idea you can't that... can't cover all the bases. No, yeah. you never can. You never fucking can, you know? Mm. So good. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. My God. Mm -hmm. And very telling... <laughs> the Allstate guy was pretty damn funny, too. Very. T it's also very telling in the movie that Val Kilmer is the least committed to the discipline, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. yet and he's, he's the, the only one who gets, who gets away. away. Alive. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Now I don't know if he gets away with any money, but he's the only one who gets away. Yeah, with his life. Right, right, man. So what a movie! Fucking yeah. great movie. God I mean, damn. I, I, I feel I feel a little bad because I know people who like love this movie would love us to spend more time getting into like every shot. And uh, there are people who are obsessed with this movie as like the ultimate sort of of this kind of film. I don't I don't know. You can make an argument it's the ultimate in action cinema, but of a certain kind of crime film, this is pretty high up there. It's uh, you know the yeah. characterization. I don't even know what filming. you would consider this in terms of like a genre. Like, is this like a procedure? Not really. Is it like 
a cat and mousey kind of like, is that a genre even? Like, I don't know. Are there other movies like this? I'd like to say that like, you know, there's some like uh, Infernal Affairs kind of like Asian movies that, that mirror this or at least that copied this. But uh, yeah, I'm not really sure what genre I'd put it in. Uh, I, I think people. Movie. Well, I think some people consider it a neo noir a little bit. I don't know that that's okay. accurate, but I've heard that before. Lots of neckties. I'll give you that. Yeah, it feels very similar to like a euro crime film, like a Pulitz okay. Pulitz Tetchy. You know, I think it, it has some of those uh, vibes. I also think it's its some own of thing. The Italian job action. Yeah, yeah no, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, with yeah. you. I think it's more. It's more its own thing that became a thing. It's more its own thing that became again. Like I referenced Bad Boys a lot because it looked the fuck like Bad Boys. It did. I'm sorry. That's what it reminded me of. And uh, so if that's a genre, then this is that genre. Or yeah. even uh, a movie like Midnight Run. You know what I mean? Like sure, it has sure. that feeling of like this kinetic like repartee. Well, now we know. I mean, one of the things just to like circle back, if we have any new listeners, one of the things we focus on with Cinepunks is not our expertise, but our passion to learn more. So knowing that like Michael Mann is new to you and maybe this whole kind of like 90s action thriller is not totally up your alley. I'm like, oh, we should do some more stuff like this. Like a hell yeah. Like we already said, we want to do some more Michael Mann films, but we should like start doing some just like random 90s action stuff and just see like whether this is like what we think about it. Yeah. Yeah. If it resonates in the same way that this one did. Right, 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 right. Anyways, I think this movie is great. I think it's got a killer script. I think it looks beautiful. Like we said, it has an amazing cast. Yeah. It's yeah. super fun. The, the Natalie it's Portman. A fun movie. And that's the other weird, thing, but... right? Okay. Yeah. I'll give you that. And the Andy McDowell, that's not Andy McDowell thing is weird, but like other than that, like it's a fun movie for the gravity of everything that happens in the movie. And for the seriousness of all of it, it, and like when he kicks the TV out of his car, so fucking good. fun. So fun. It's great. It's great. Good ass movie. Plus, I mean, like, just the acting things I've read about this off the IMDb trivia, like the fact that there's a sequence wherein Pacino and De Niro meet face to face over a cup of coffee. And it's the first time that they're on screen together, even though they were both in The Godfather Part Two together, they didn't share a scene together. And the scene was mostly ad lib. Like, they had a loose, like, idea for where they wanted to end up where with each other's understanding of, of the other character. And they just went for it and took a couple takes from what I understand. But that that's basically a raw conversation between two people. It's genius. Also, uh, goddamn brilliant. Also, Al Pacino yells big ass at Hank Azaria. And it's really great. It's really, really funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah. Al Pacino <laughs> is on a hundred in this. Like, He's so, and yeah. I mean, that's the other part back to my cop point. It, he lives by intimidation. He scares people. He threatens them. He walks around the way he walks. It literally feels like Al Pacino was like told, do a caricature of yourself. You know what I mean? He's walking around. <laughs> he's doing his thing. It's so good. It's so good. I just feel like if you haven't seen this 
and you and and you're wondering if you should i i got to encourage you to see it it's so just like a a fun granted dark moments some dark themes like when we say fun we don't mean funny it's a serious film yeah. but it's just enjoyable and entertaining it's compelling the whole way through it's entertaining the whole way through uh, a few, few. I mean, like, I don't understand why we even like. If you haven't seen Heat by now, you probably just won't see it, unless you're like me, who's like, you know, I haven't seen Heat. Let's watch that. Like, you know, no, I if, think if there that's are people. Instinct, I think there are people who are, I think there are people who are willing to fill in their their lack of not. You know what I mean? Like, not everyone's mm. going to get to see everything, and there's still stuff I haven't seen that I still want to see. You know, so uh, <clears throat> I mean, here's a great example. Well, let's transition right now. Uh, I had never seen Casino before. Really? Well, why does that surprise me? I've seen parts of it on TV, uh, and mm-hmm. so uh, the beginning parts were all like, "Oh man, I guess I've never seen this." And then the later parts, I was like, "Oh, I have seen this," and I realized I've watched parts of it just on cable when it's on, and I've never sat mm-hmm. through the whole thing uh, unedited, even because when I've seen it on cable, it's always been on. <sighs> You know, Network basic basic cable. Yeah. 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 So yeah, let's talk yeah, about yeah. casino. So what were your thoughts then? Yeah. Where where do you sit with this one? So um for those people who don't know, Casino Scorsese film based on a true story about uh the Midwest Mafia's involvement in Las Vegas and about uh, the specific story of two friends who, you know, one of them is running a casino, uh, and the other one is sent out to sort of like be his you know, protector, like enforcer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and slowly their lives kind of spiral out of control um, and end up becoming, you know, a, a, a bloody affair and an embarrassment and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's, it becomes sort of a meditation on greed, and which I guess is not a big surprise, but it also, I mm-hmm. think, allows Scorsese to make some connections between um, organized crime and corporate stuff so sort of saying like what's the difference between these mafia run casinos and now the mega corporations that run the casinos today you know what i mean Mm, yeah it's interesting all that stuff for me it's another 1995 movie starring bobby de niro what i love i will say i will say what i love about this (laughs) is robert de niro in this movie and robert de niro and heat seem like two very different people they don't seem like the same guy at all Agreed, um, agreed, agreed. And I like that transformation. Uh, the So uh, here's the thing. When I was watching this, I we were originally going to record a few days ago. So I was kind of rushing to get mm-hmm. it done. So I watched it primarily, obviously, on my TV. But I watched it sometimes like in other ways. And what I realized is that this movie is visually stunning. Um, but the movie relies a lot on something that... Um, has become a bit of a Scorsese cliche, which is voiceover with stunning montage. Uh, in fact, I think if if you cut together the parts of the movie that are actual dialogue scenes, people just talking to each other, the movie would go from three hours to an hour. There's only an hour yeah. of actual dialogue in the movie, and the rest of the movie is montage with voiceover. Montage with voiceover. Yeah, and when the voiceover I- is shared between Joe Pesci and... And Robert De Niro. Yeah. So with, it's those with two one voices brief, telling with, the story. With one brief break. Yeah, in one from, brief from break. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. From, a, uh, from another kid. Pesci's boy. Yeah. 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 So um, 
I think when I'm watching it on my TV or if I was seeing it in a theater, the the montages are so visually stunning and well edited that it is overwhelming and that's what I'm focused on. When I was forced to watch it in a way that was less visually compelling, the montage and voiceover thing got a little old for me because it happens so much. And I, I appreciate that more as an introduction to the story and less as the primary mode of storytelling. It just started to get old. Um, that being said, I think all the performances are really great. I guess the other thing is like, I'm not, I'm not enamored of these characters. Like, okay, like you could compare this movie to another uh, Scorsese film, Goodfellas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as both like organized crime films. And for me, I find Goodfellas way more compelling because I find the characters more interesting, right? Mm -hmm. And I find their Mm -hmm. story more interesting. This film, it starts off in a place where I'm kind of curious about what's going on, but as things start to devolve for them and their lives become Mm -hmm. more sordid and more petty, I found myself Mm -hmm. less compelled by the narrative, which doesn't mean that made the movie bad per se, but it's just I was less sucked in. And I by the end, I mean, this is for you. So you guys know, again, another three hour movie. Um, by the end, I was wanting it to wrap up. I knew I mean, the movie starts off with Robert De Niro's car exploding. So, you know, we're going to get there. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah. it takes us three hours to get there. And then they show you five different angles on the car blowing up before they finally, you know, uh, before they finally saw for you how he survived this car exploding. So, you know, I just felt like unlike heat that I felt on board the whole time, parts of casino I felt were dragging for me. Um, I will say that is a take on the movie narratively. Visually, this movie is super visually compelling top to bottom. I mean, even if I don't love the script all the time as a visual storyteller, Scorsese kills this from beginning to end. Mm. Yeah. Also, just like the way he was, there's a lot of famous people in this movie and seeing, seeing the way it plays out, it definitely gives credence to the fact that there are no small roles, just small actors. Like this movie is that for sure. And uh, every single part of this movie is so well constructed to me that narratively I had no problem with it. I, w- I was there for it the whole three hour runtime. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is the, that shit. I get it. And I honestly I don't have the same affectation for Goodfellas as a lot of people do because I've only seen it like a handful of times. I haven't seen it like Evo was telling me today that he's seen it like thirty times. So I haven't seen it like that many times. But that said. I love Casino. I really do. I think it's a brilliant fucking movie. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe even hmm. perfect. Yeah. I'll hmm. give you that. Maybe even perfect. Yeah. Would you take Casino over Heat? Yes. Wow. The first time I saw Casino, I was on a plane going to Las Vegas with Warden and Freddie. So, like, that was my experience seeing this movie. And now seeing it that I work in a casino... I can't deny how much I love it because I'm like, oh, yeah, this is that. This is that shit. 
like the whole like you got to watch out to see if people are like cheating at like the games and stuff and if they have accomplices and all this other thing that shit is mad real man still to this day real like everybody is so nervous that people are somehow wordlessly communicating with other people at the table right, like that's a reality right. well it's the whole, fucking crazy the whole business model is based on the idea that you're going to lose that the more you play yes. you just give them your money so if if you find a way to win they got to shut it down it it would defeat the whole business model yeah it's true and people flock to it though they might as well just come and just give you their money cuz that's what they're doing Let's also talk about the fact that Joe Bob Briggs is in this movie. I know. Did I blow your mind at all? When I realized it was him, I laughed so hard. I was like, I can't believe he's in this. I was like, oh my God, I don't believe Joe Bob Briggs, A, knows Martin Scorsese, and B, is in this movie. Fucking insane. Fucking insane. Uh, What do you think about the Sharon Stone character? I mean, fine. I don't know. I I like her as an actress, and I get that, Uh you know, to a certain extent, the character is a real person. Like all these characters are based on real people, but I could see someone seeing this and being like really tired of her as this kind of like money grubby. Like there's, this is very much a film in which there aren't a lot of uh, characters to identify with in a positive way. You know, it's like everyone Mm kind of sucks to a certain extent. Um, But I think you can make the argument that the men, while they're awful, are sort of painted in a way that's more sympathetic than Sharon Stone's character, uh, with the exception of James Woods. But James Woods <laughs> exists as he's almost the physical embodiment of everything there is untrustworthy about Sharon Stone's character. So you could say like, oh, well, James Woods is a criminal and he sucks. And and to be fair, mm. the movie is pretty negative on all of its characters. Like Scorsese has never, ever, ever, I think, tried to make any of these criminals be heroes. And I think when people yeah. take, take that away, they're not really paying attention to the movie. They just, that's their own shit that they're bringing to the movie. But still, I just feel like her character feels so rotten top to bottom that I, I it gives me anxiety a little bit. I wish um, there were other women in the movie who were portrayed differently and had bigger roles because she's really the only significant woman in the whole movie. And she's kind of shown to be terrible the whole time, whereas like Pesci's terrible but he's also kind of charming and funny. De Niro's terrible, mm. but he's good at what he does. Like there's a positive to their characters as well as a negative. Um, although to be fair, uh, Pesci's charm doesn't keep him from getting beaten and then buried alive. So, yeah. you know, he, well, he definitely but also gets to be fair, there's definitely a positive to the Sharon Stone character. It's just at the beginning and it's uh, topical. It's that right. she makes everybody feel comfortable and that she's like this charming hostess and all this other stuff. And only when you get deeper into it, which I kind of feel like is the way with everything, like every character in this movie, like they're on the surface presenting a certain way, but deep down there's a different thing that's there. And uh, she's just like that, except for James Woods. He's the only character that doesn't have that like development, I feel. But again, that's because I feel like he functions as like her dark side, like as a narrative Mm. piece. He's there so that when she's freaking out, it's even more 
creepy, you know, like that. Yeah. When she's on the phone with him at her own wedding, it's so gross. It's just so gross. And like, uh, you know, Mm. I I don't, I don't want to be like, cause Scorsese is a misogynist or anything like that. But I feel like some women watching this movie might see this and be like, feel like it's really, it's a cruel characterization. Um, I don't know that it's inaccurate though, because I was like, you know, I read some of the Wikipedia about these people in real life. And it sounds like the woman she's portraying again, she's a fictionalized version of it. It's not an autobiography or whatever was a pretty bad lady. So, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) I, I, I don't want to be like, Oh, he just made her this way. Like it feels somewhat real, but I can understand someone who watches it feeling like, ugh. This is the only woman we're spending time with. And like some of her negative stuff is also stereotypical to the way that women are portrayed in film. So I think that's why Mm -hmm. it feels a little gross. But I don't want to be unfair to Scorsese and be like, and he's doing this. It's not that. It's just it's a movie of all bad people. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's there's no redemptive character in this entire storyline, except for maybe the kid. Yeah. No. Yeah. And the kid is actually kind of charming. She's only on screen a teeny bit. And you're like, oh, that poor girl. I feel so bad for her. Yeah. She got tied to a bed by her mom. That sucks. Gross. So gross. As soon as that scene happened, I was like, she is going to have a lifetime of therapy. Yeah. That's all I see. That's all that they're telling me right here. Hope she has good health insurance. Well, I hope the Tangiers has a good insurance plan. I think in the end, this is one we just got to like agree to disagree on because like, I see everything that's appealing about it. I think it's overall really great, but I don't know why. It's just, it's kind of like, you know, like there's like metal records that people really love, but for some people Mm -hmm. there might be too much of like one thing, like maybe this guy's vocals just rub you the wrong way, or maybe there's too many blast beats for your taste. That's how I feel like this. Mm -hmm. Like everything about this is competent and not even just competent, like brilliant, but there's so much of the montage and voiceover that it just started to wear on my nerves a little bit. And, and that's just weird because I don't mind it in his other movies. So I don't know who knows. Maybe For me, this was a perfect movie. This was, I thought this movie was flawless. I loved it. Top to bottom. Hmm. Hmm. I would take, I would definitely take heat over this. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And this um, is where we agree to disagree. <laughs> um, I don't even know <laughs> if I would rank it as my favorite Scorsese movie. Like I'm trying to think like it's hard because I tend to separate early Scorsese. So like Mean Streets, Taxi Driver uh-huh. um, or uh, or After Hours, you know, I tend to separate mm-hmm. those from uh, Wolf of Wall Street or, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. later stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, Casino is definitely better than Gangs of New York. Um, right. But that's Is easy. it as good to me as King of Comedy? I don't know. I think King of Comedy might be my favorite Scorsese, followed by this. It's really good, yeah. I, I don't know. I know it's kind of cliche, but I really do like Goodfellas a lot. Um, mm. You know what's crazy is I've still never seen Raging Bull. So I feel like that would have a oh, wow. effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of essential. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get it. You know, you can't see everything. So, you know, but Raging Bull is one of the ones that like, ah, I get it. But also I've just recently seen Goodfellas too. So 
you know, like within the last five years. So, well, I think we both we both suffer from the thing of let's let's talk about this because I tweeted about this in relationship to Jaws. I think there's a certain kind of film fan that is like tired of everyone telling them what to like. And I think that's uh, for us, like we're both in that camp of like, there's certain things that everyone agrees on that we just skip. Uh-huh. And we're like, fuck it. I don't care about that. You know what I mean? The same way yeah. that like, yeah. for me, that is the only thing that explains your attitude towards Bruce Springsteen. You just were like, right. everyone loves this shit. So fuck it. I don't need to know about it. You know, that's how I felt yeah. until I started intentionally watching them that was how i felt about some scorsese movies you know Um, which doesn't mean i'm like against raging bull i want to watch it it's on my list of things to watch but like i was more excited to talk about after hours and see that finally than i would be with Uh raging bull because i know it's an underrated scorsese film so like i just think we have we have a little bit of that bias sometimes which the thing about yeah. a bias like it's that is... It's a bit of a contrarian bias. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Well, and it doesn't make us wrong. Sometimes you're biased for something and you're right, right? But you have to be willing to uh, know when you're wrong. You know what I mean? Like, if someone's biased right, right, against right. Donnie Darko, well, you're right. That movie fucking sucks. But if you're yeah. biased against Jaws, like, I get it. Film bros have been, you know, foaming at the mouth over Jaws for how many years? 50 years? 60 years? Whatever it is. Mm. Like, I yeah, get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're right. It's really fucking good. Yeah, you should it's watch it. wonderful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or same thing like with music. Like everybody jocks a band like the Abbott Brothers. Cool. I'm not in. It's not what I'm going to do. You know sure, what I'm saying? Sure. Or like that's intentional. Like whether or not I'm wrong, okay, debatable. But that said, right. I'm also not listening. So whatever. Right. You know what I'm saying? And that same thing translates to film. Like, okay, I get it. Like that's the thing. That's the taste and the flavor. But also, no, thank you. I mean, but again, you got to be willing to learn when you're off, right? Like, I don't know. I I feel pretty good about you not being in the Abbott Brothers, but but you're wrong about Frank Ocean, and I'll push it forever. (laughs) And Springsteen and Frank Ocean, I'm incorrect on, huh? Okay. (laughs) Although, remember that time? Remember that weekend when you, you, talked yourself into liking Drake because you thought I liked Drake. That's That still makes me so bad. Yeah, and you don't like Drake? No, Drake sucks. <laughs> Fuck everyone. I was like, whatever, Liam. I'll listen to Drake because Liam's my friend and that's what Liam would do. So I'm listening to Drake. Get at me, dog. And then it's like, no, Liam doesn't like Drake. I'm like, God damn it, why is I listening to this bullshit? Champagne poppy? Fuck that shit, man. It's so bad. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> So, oh, yeah, Lord I mean, this Lord. is good because this is both of us. We're filling in a hole. I mean, I've seen parts of Casino, but I hadn't sat through the whole thing and and you hadn't seen Heat. So this is good. We're filling in our film knowledge and we're covering something that's a little more mainstream since we just last episode covered, you know, obscure <laughs> Thai director, you know? Yeah, we covered two movies by a peach pong. We're at the Cthulhu. So <laughs> let's do a little Smarty Scorsese cool, too. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Michael Mann. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mr. Mans. Yeah, I'm into it. It's fine. I guess that's about it. I mean, I I will say, while I did have some criticism of Casino, if there's anyone listening who's like, oh, yeah, I've never bothered with Casino, you got to – I think it's actually something you should see. At least give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's worth the time spent. You're going to get the same amount of uh, – for me – Watching, spending three hours watching Casino, I got the same uh, satisfaction as spending three hours watching Children of Paradise. So, like, you know, pick your poison, but 
just understand like this shit is good. This shit, I really enjoyed it. I stand by it. I still think it's a perfect movie. Uh, yeah, it's great. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I guess that'll do us for now. That'll be it for now. But, you know, All right. we're always trying to expand. If, you know, one of the things we've asked people to contribute creatively. Also, hit us up on social media. We're, we're C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Let us know if there's something that you think we should cover, something you want to hear us talk about. Recently, someone hit me up about African films. Uh, honestly, I just forgot, and that's why that went on the back burner. Plus, we wanted to do something a little more mainstream after uh, the last episode. But yeah, before the summer's over, we'll do some African films. Maybe you want to hear us talk about your favorite 80s cult movie. Maybe you want us to dive back into some popular franchise that's going to make me want to die. Whatever it is, <laughs> we're, we're willing to give it a chance because, again... We're open is the point. We're open yeah. we're listening. So hit us yeah. up. Tell us what you feel like we should be talking about. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we'll, see, we'll see if we think that you're cool enough for us to talk about that thing. Yeah, we might also <laughs> just diss you to your face, too. That's a thing. Yeah, be like, yo, that shit is whack. Sorry, son. Yeah, talk get out of here. Later. Oh, you want us to talk about... <laughs> I don't even have a good example. I feel like whatever I say is going to be just like a bad like you know like it's not just like the things that you like that sort of point out who you are it's also the things that you diss so i'm like what am i going to yeah. say as an example of something that's lame and i'm like oh i don't want to because then what if i yeah it's like no out? but also it's like yo man we're not going to watch the new my little pony movie we're not we're not going to what are you talking about i am i am going to watch the new my little pony movie <laughs> My kid is obsessed with My Little Pony. With My Little Pony, (laughs) yo, and for real, the last My Little Pony movie was fucking great. It was so good. (laughs) I mean, I will say this: that's what's so weird about the My Little Pony reboot is that like it was just passable for the first like four seasons, and then somewhere around season five, they got interesting writers, and then now like I when when there's a new season of My Little Pony, I don't know if they're still making them, but if they are, I'll sit down and watch that with Maeve in a second. That show's really funny and really all good. All right, all right, all right. Are we gonna watch the new Space Jam? <sighs> I'm gonna say no. I don't no. want to. I don't want I'm to. I'm not gonna. Not gonna happen. So there you go. Cinepunks. That's Never going to review Space Jam. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. Watch. It'll happen. We'll, we'll do it. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And to tell a friend. Tell people that you like us and that we're cool and that they should be liking us too. Because that shit is dope. And uh, I think we all want to be dope. Um, so episode 135. Done and done. Say goodnight, Liam. Goodnight, Liam. Smoke ball. Do you like spooky movies? Hair-raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love horror business. The horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Don. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great or maybe not great. <laughs> Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.